Welcome to the Zucchini Warriors, the Gordon Corman podcast. We are your hosts, Asher and Shira. And we want to welcome you to our sixth installment. Today we will be covering McDonald Hall Goes Hollywood. Our penultimate book in the uh, Runner and Bleed series, right? Yeah, yeah, that's true. The second last book um, that features Bruno and Boots. But not to worry, because as promised, we will be talking about uh, some of Corman's other books, not involving Bruno and Boots after, but we are coming to an end of, I guess you might call it our first season. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's kind of sad in a way. It's a bit sad. Who would have thought we would have made it this far? Definitely not. Probably anyone, yeah. but certainly not <laughs> you or me, I would say. No, definitely uh, not. Yeah, and also, like, growing up, I would always sort of consider um, War with Mr. Wizzle, Zucchini Warriors, and this one as, like, a sort of triumvirate of <laughs> Bruno and Boots books that I thought were the best. Yeah, so yeah. it... it it's sad to come to an end knowing that I'm not as familiar with the one that comes next and knowing that I don't hold it in the same regard, or at least growing up, I didn't. We'll see if yeah. my my mind is different now. Yeah, that's Something Fishy is the one book of this series that we didn't own, right? So for Correct. for a lot of my childhood, I didn't even know that it existed, I feel like. Yeah, I think I, I kind of remember it. discovering it. And being pretty excited, I feel like it wasn't necessarily even when it came out. I think maybe we discovered it years later since we weren't really on the internet looking up Gordon Corman at that point. (laughs) Uh, So we kind of left our own devices and word didn't reach us, I guess. But we are talking a lot about a book we're not talking about today. Oh, so that's true. Let's get back. Let's get back. Maybe we'll that. save that for next time. That's true. McDonald Hall Goes Hollywood is one of my favorite titles. Um, and the the greatness of it is further confirmed by how bad the new title is for it. For me. <laughs> you know what I mean? So the new title, for those who don't know, is Lights, Camera, Disaster, which could not tell you less about what this book is about. No, just an absolutely terrible marketing decision. Um, I think that, if I'm not mistaken, the back cover of the original book, McDonald Hall Goes Hollywood, mm-hmm. the like tagline on the back is "Lights, Camera, yeah, yeah, Disaster." Yeah. I think that's right, or or like even it, maybe on the front in the like picture. But yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. Maybe it's on the front on the mm-hmm. picture, which makes me think that whoever like retitled it just it was a like honest mistake, and they just got confused they like quickly looked at the book they saw in writing oh it's camera disaster okay i guess that's what it's called let me just write that and then like gordon was too nice to tell them like (laughs) no it's not right so he just went with it i think for the for the newer pressing of the book but yeah yeah, definitely a a downgrade in title so luckily we knew it as mcdonald hall goes hollywood and that's how it will always be known to us Agree. It's also what's funny about Lights Camera Disaster is it's such a bad title, but it's not even the worst title because the worst title, at least in my opinion, is when they switch the war with Mr. Wizzle to Wizzle War. (laughs) (laughs) 
definitely the most unnecessary switch. It's such a ridiculous switch. It's like, it doesn't make any sense. You gain nothing. It just kind of obscures things ever so slightly. Why do yeah. you need to do it? <laughs> I have no idea. That is so true because at least in the original title, you're like, okay, it's clear this guy is like a teacher or at right, least like an adult, presumably yeah, yeah. a teacher. Yeah. They're saving like one word, yeah. <laughs> like a short formed word, Mr. There's like getting rid of basically yeah. and making it who would want to read? Nobody knows what a whistle is because yeah, it's not anything. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I think the only thing I can think of is that for all of these titles, the idea was to make it less clear that the stories take place at a school. Why that would be the aim, I don't really know, because, like, surely that's, like, some of the draw for kids. Um, yeah. But that's, like, like McDonald Hall goes Hollywood. I guess if you, like, can understand McDonald Hall as a school, lights, camera, disaster is, like, way more vague. But I don't know. It's very confusing. It is weird. And also, like, usually when you get deeper into a series... You want to be telling your audience this is another book in that in series. This series, right? Yeah. So when you're getting to like the whatever, like this book, which is pretty late in the series, yeah. why would you not want people to know? Oh, this is about Bruno and right. Boo's characters we know and love, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. would certainly want to read more about. Right. Let's make sure people aren't aware of that yeah. unless they do deeper digging. Exactly. Very strange. Very strange. Basically, just made the new titles emulate the worst old titles. Like, go jump yeah. in the pool, beware of the fish, both just, like, vague, unclear what the book's about, and they're like, we need more of that. So let's just kind of, like, roll with those kind of titles. But anyway, yeah, McDonald's sound, All Goes they, Hollywood is the one. Yeah, they sound like knockoffs. Of, if someone made, like, an off-brand version of this book, like, you <laughs> trying to use characters that sound the same but aren't, maybe, like, a cheaper no-name yeah, yeah, version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sounds yeah. like they would use these new titles for mm. their series. So anyway, we will, I guess, stop talking about that, but just want it to be known that we disagree with whoever was in charge of marketing at the publishing company during the time mm. of the newer releases or the re-release of these books. Yeah. I mean, we have a lot of feelings about it, but we can leave it there. I'm really excited for this book. This was, I think, for sure one of my faves growing up and potentially one of my most read as well. Yeah, for me as well. And also one that had been the longest since I read it. Like I read it, I think, the most as a kid. Mm -hmm. it, a lot of time has transpired since I've read it until yeah. I read it for this. Whereas Ooh. the other few, I think I had read more recently. Refresher so. for you. Great. Yeah. So a few surprises in store, perhaps, in the plot Definitely. summary. Well, let's find out, shall we? Okay, let's do it. Welcome to Sydney Ramplotsky, uh, the part of the podcast where we go through a plot summary of what happened in the book. Hey, Sydney, want to hear a joke? Yeah, okay. What do you get when you cross an animal, a narrative device, and an exercise in winter? Ramplotsky? Correct. Wow. That was very smart, and I'm I'm really glad that the dialogue framework is back. Uh, <laughs> yep. so, oh, that was good. When you said welcome to, and then the name of the segment, I was worried that you got confused and were about to say welcome to the Zucchini Warriors again. <laughs> it crossed my mind that I might do that by accident. 
Uh, all right, great job. You didn't, though. Um, all right, Sydney Ramplotsky, let's get it rolling. So we open with um, McDonald Hall being turned into a movie set. So there's tons of people milling around, setting up all kinds of equipment. The Canadian flag is replaced with the American flag. The McDonald Hall plaque is covered with one that says Georgetown Academy. And we learn that all of this activity is um, for a movie called Academy Blues. Starring uh, young heartthrob Jordy Jones. And for some reason, this um, filming is going on while school is in session, which is only <laughs> the first of my long list of reasons of why the movie element of this book doesn't make any sense. Um, but anyway, so Mark Davies is filming um, what's going on because he's gotten out of English class to make a documentary about the making of Academy Blues. The other guys are kind of hanging around watching what's going on, and they're waiting for Bruno to show up. So that's how the book begins. So Bruno finally wakes up. He emerges from Dormitory 3, and he has slicked back his hair. He's wearing sunglasses. He's got a red velvet smoking jacket and an ascot. And he appears, as Corman describes, quote, as a splendid figure. A great description. Mm -hmm. I wrote down, Bruno appears dressed like Hugh Hefner, question mark? Yeah, big time. What he what he seems to feel is like uh, Hollywood vibe, I guess. Movie star yeah. kind of look. <laughs> he says um, he's trying to get noticed by the movie people so he can get put in the movie and become a star. Now, eventually, Jordy Jones emerges from his trailer, and the girls at scrimmages who have been waiting for this moment go nuts. They start cheering. The marching band starts to play for some reason. <laughs> they parade signs that say, we love you, Jordy Jones. Um, then the director starts um, setting up the first shot, and he picks some random McDonald Hall boys to play extras. Uh, but Bruno is not selected because he looks so crazy, not like a normal kid his age, so he doesn't get picked. And Bruno complains to the director, who's named Seth Dinkman, and until I had to take notes and therefore like write down his name, a hundred percent I thought his name was Dinkelman. Really? Yeah. Don't know why. Always have read it like huh. that. Yep. Um, anyway, so Dinkman is just super dismissive of Bruno, and Bruno's furious. Um, and one of the guys that he picks to be an extra is Sydney, and he's meant to be throwing a baseball, but Sydney obviously misses and he throws it into part of the lighting setup that falls and it nearly hits Jordy. And that's when we get introduced to Goose Golden, who is Jordy's personal manager slash chaperone on set. And Goose's main thing is that he just like freaks out over Jordy. And so in this instance, he's like very upset that Jordy was nearly injured. Um, and he argues with Seth Thinkman, the director, so. We're going to see a lot of that um, throughout the book. So Dinkman picks boots to replace Sydney, and Bruno is super mad about this, so he just starts walking into the shots to put himself <laughs> in the movie. The fish catches him, and he brings him into his office, and he says, like, stop bothering the movie people, and he puts Bruno on trash-picking duty. Um, so that's kind of the start of the movie stuff, um, and we're going to get more. Did you, know, did you notice who Sydney was throwing the ball to? No, I can't remember. None other than the Beast, Calvin. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, Calvin is, um, Calvin and his Beast persona 
appear throughout the book. In, and I actually kind of forgot, like I forgot that Calvin is the beast. Um, in terms of like when I used to read this book and read Calvin Fitzhart, I forgot that he was the beast in Zucchini Warriors. Um, but I yeah. love that his like intensity and maniacal energy and just like general loopiness is um, remains consistent <laughs> throughout. Oh, yeah. Um, then what happens? Okay, so then it's that night and Bruno and Boots go to scrimmages to see Kathy and Diane. Uh, but they have a bit of a fight because Kathy and Diane turn out to be big Jordy Jones fans and Bruno's has this like animosity towards Jordy, even though he's never met him. Um, partially he's like projecting because of like his bad experience, I think with the movie set this morning. And partially I think he's just like, you know, jealous of Jordy and that all the girls love him and everything. Um, so Bruno and Boots kind of like leave in a huff. Uh, but in that scene, we do find out the boys are hiding fireworks for Miss Scrimmage's golden anniversary celebration, meaning her 50th teaching anniversary. Right. Yes, that's correct. Um, so from there, uh, the next day, Bruno starts his punishment that the fish gave him, which is garbage picking duty. So Wilbur is also um, being punished for something food related, I think they say. Yeah. Um, so it, so basically, it gives sort of the book an opportunity to explain the plot of Academy Blues because <laughs> Wilbur explains it to Bruno. Uh, so it's basically about a kid who goes to private school and hates it. So he starts flushing stuff down the toilet to try ruin the plumbing and get everyone sent home. And then they fix the pipe wrong and the faculty building explodes. So, uh, later on, I think we'll talk more about the plot of this movie within the book and <laughs> whether it's a good plot or not. But anyway, so that's just sort of to explain what's going on in the movie because the it'll like be helpful to know as they're filming other stuff later. It's a very Corman uh, plot, the plot of Academy Blues. Extremely. It's like it's kind of like a higher mix. budget. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like a mix of some Zucchini Warriors elements mixed yeah. with I Want to Go no, Home, yeah, another yeah. book is. Yeah. Mixed, definitely something Corman would write up. Yeah, for sure. Anyway, so then uh, I guess that night or at another location goose Jordy, and dinkman are watching dailies uh, from the footage they filmed Jordy yawns once and goose freaks out saying like they're overworking and all that just kind of showing that goose is just an absolute nut when it comes to Jordy. um so as they're watching the dailies they see that there's a garbage picker on camera and he turns to the camera and waves <laughs> and then later on they see him again and he's like twirling a baton like the garbage picking stick as a baton and he stabs himself with it and dies dramatically and Dinkman recognizes that this is Bruno the guy that he, that walked onto the um, set earlier mm -hmm. and so they gets uh gets his staff to print up pictures of Bruno and say like don't let this guy on set basically <laughs> so then the next day Boots walks into his dorm room and Bruno's hiding in a giant shrub so when Boots comes in, he just sees like a giant shrub sitting in the middle of the room. And Bruno's like, this is a pretty good disguise, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so then later, Jordy's, uh wakes up in his trailer, like walks outside, looks at the McDonald Hall dorms and yearns to be a part of it. Mm. And so we, we get a little insight into Jordy's feelings, which is pretty unusual for um, a Bruno and Boots book to... I guess, like, focus so much on someone that's not one of them. 
Right. So that was kind of cool. So then he drinks, takes a sip of orange juice. This is outside, but in like in his head monologue, he's saying like how much he hates orange juice and Goose just makes him drink it. So he throws the rest of his orange juice into a shrub. And wouldn't you know, it happens to be the shrub that Bruno's hiding in, (laughs) which is pretty funny that Bruno's just like randomly in in his shrub (laughs) disguise when they're not even filming or like on set. He's just like near Jordy's trailer and he's just just testing it out, I guess. Yeah. 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 So anyway, the next day at the dailies, uh, Dinkman notices that this same shrub keeps appearing and then he sees like Bruno's feet sticking out and his head sticking out and he's like, what is going on here? He's getting like more and more outraged at Bruno's uh, continued existence, basically, and Bruno continuing to like ruin footage that they're filming. Yeah. Uh, so then that night, Kathy and Diane, along with uh, a team of, or no, maybe it's just them, they sneak out, they sneak over mm-hmm. uh, to Jordy's trailer, uh, but Goose catches them. So before they can get to Jordy, Goose says, like, get out of there. So they run over to Bruno and Boots to escape because they don't think they'll make it back to uh, across the street to their own, uh, own school. And so they make Bruno and Boots let them in, but they're still kind of on bad terms a little bit. So they ask to get the fireworks that the Bruno and Boots have been holding for Scrimmage's anniversary because they want to use it for Jordy's birthday instead, mm-hmm. which is coming up. Uh, Fudge and uh, the fish knock on Bruno and Boots' door, knowing that the girls ran in there. And so they're given like minor punishments, nothing too bad, but kind of continuing in Bruno's uh, garbage picking punishment and certainly won't be the last time he's punished uh, throughout the book. So then the next day at lunch, Bruno uh, is like holding court with the gang, saying what they're going to do about Jordy. And everyone else is like, what are you talking about? There's nothing to do. Like, what do you mean? He's like, we got to take him down a peg. He like thinks he owns the place. It's throwing orange juice on everyone. <laughs> we, uh, it's uh, not acceptable. So he says after lights out that night, they're going to rig up Jordy's trailer with fireworks to scare him. So they're going to use the fireworks that uh, are actually the girls. And um, it's pretty impressive that Bruno gets everyone to agree to this, considering they have absolutely no problem with Jordy whatsoever. Yeah. Probably haven't thought about him at all beyond the (laughs) fact that they're just filming a movie there. Elmer says he's not going to do it. Um, Bruno says, well, if you, Elmer says he's not going to do it because of his contract for the Zucchini Warriors, which is great. Yeah, I kind of forgot that the contract reappeared, but yeah, it was nice. Yeah, that was amazing. Um, But Bruno says like, okay, if you don't do it, we're probably going to kill him because you're the smart guy that knows how to set up fireworks and like, do things properly so elmer agrees to do it mark is filming the whole thing as part of his documentary Hmm. um so they set it all up so that it's all like connected to one plunger so when that plunger is pressed like all the fireworks will go off um and then bruno has like kind of a secret firework called the super duper jumbo boomer that (laughs) no one else except boots knows about so it's like not in elmer's blueprints and bruno plants it himself uh, so just keep that under your hat for the rest of the book. Uh, Chekhov's Super Duper Jumbo Boomer, you oh, might call it. Brilliant. Thanks. Uh, and then so as they're setting up the fireworks around Jordy's trailer, they hear from inside some muffled sobs. So mm. Bruno peeks inside and sees Jordy Jones is crying. Yep. 
I and I am going to continue the plot, but it, this seems like a natural point to pause. And as I said, I mean, I have a really long list of why so many elements of how they explain what's going on with the movie don't make any sense. But and I won't go through all of them. But this one, from the moment I read this book as like, I don't know, an eight year old, nine year old until now, I have never been able to wrap my mind around any kind of rationale as to why Jordy Jones, the star of the movie, would be sleeping in his trailer. And like, that is their plan for like where he lives, as opposed to in a hotel, they open up one of the dorms to the movie people. He's also, in addition to that, not just like not being the place where anyone from the movie would sleep. He's he and Goose are the only people that seem to be <laughs> on the movie set. Like, where is the crew? Are they in a hotel? And like, Jordy's not. It just couldn't make less sense to me why he would be living in his trailer. Wow, I never even thought about this as a kid or now. <laughs> it just seems you bring up some excellent points that I didn't consider. You would think they would definitely take advantage of there being dormitories if they don't right. want to put people up in a hotel. Yeah. But exactly. yeah, there's like, yeah, where is the entire crew, any other actors or, in the movie, yeah, anyone sleeping? Well, the parent, there are no other actors in the movie. That's another thing that's confusing yeah. to me. But, <laughs> I mean, again, other they have not hired any other actor. They no just want to get kids from Jordan students. walking outside in different outfits and they just have extras that are the students. Don't think about it too much, and it's fine. <laughs> okay, anyway, just wanted to mention that. So um, Bruno and Boots, they go into the chair to talk to Jordy, and he tells them that he's really lonely because, you know, being on a movie set and being an actor, he only gets to hang around adults. Again, this is a movie set in a school, so why aren't there other child actors around? Nobody knows. <laughs> um, and he says, like, that whole problem is made even worse by being on location at McDonald's Hall because now he's at a place where there's hundreds of guys his age, but he never gets to talk to them or hang out with them. Um, so this, like, humanizes Jordy, of course, and Bruno pulls an immediate 180, and he says that they're going to celebrate Jordy's birthday tomorrow um, by having poker night in the dorm. And I love that when he mentions it, Boots is like, oh, no, not poker night. Like, it's like a long standing thing that they have. And Boots says he doesn't want to do it because at the last poker night, Sydney got a royal flush, threw up his arms in celebration, and dislocated both of his shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that is very traumatic. You would, yeah. It's pretty surprising that Bruno wants to do it again <laughs> and that Sydney wants to do it again. Because Sydney shows up to poker night. Boots doesn't. Boots isn't like upset that Sydney dislocated both of his shoulders in, as you mentioned, what must have been like a pretty traumatic thing. He's mad that because he dislocated his shoulders, Sydney started screaming, and so the fish raided the game. <laughs> that is how that <laughs> throwback ends. Yeah, Boots is kind of a jerk. He's cutthroat. But anyway, so he is not interested in poker night. So Bruno says, okay, if this is perfect, because Jordy and Boots are both blonde, and Jordy's worried that Goose. Um, we'll see that he's missing because Goose is like so paranoid that he comes and checks on Jordy throughout the night. So Boots is going to stay in Jordy's trailer, pretending to be him asleep while Jordy goes um, to poker night. <laughs> then uh, Bruno delivers some great lines that kind of sum up why I find Bruno so hilarious in this book. So he, he says to Jordy, quote, 
It just so happens that there are six guys outside booby trapping your trailer. No, don't try to figure it out. It was a bad idea, and I'm really sorry. Psst, guys, take away the explosives. Poker night instead. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. And that they don't, like, question it. They just start doing it, because yeah. it's just normal, like, yeah, yeah, okay. normal behavior. <laughs> yeah. Like, we didn't understand the fireworks to begin with. Like, poker night, poker night sounds like a fine transition from what we were doing. Yeah. <sighs> Don't try to figure it out, he says. Anyway, so the guys pick up all the fireworks, but they're going by Elmer's diagram. Um, so Bruno's super-duper jumbo boomer is still there. Um, so the next night is poker night, and uh, the guys are gathered in Bruno's room. Bruno brings Jordy in, and he introduces him as, quote, our newest pigeon. <laughs> <laughs> Which I had I to look up. About that. I had to look up what that meant. Do you know what it means? Because you're a poker guy. No. I mean, I, I think didn't it know just that was a poker term. Someone who's bad at poker is a pigeon. <laughs> oh, interesting. But it's so funny that like a whatever, thirteen to sixteen question mark year old boy <laughs> would use that term. Um, oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, it's so funny. Um, so the guys use food instead of money, um, and so they all kind of like show what they brought. Uh, but before they start the game, Bruno says they need to present Jordy with his cake. And for some reason, they left Sydney in charge of the birthday cake. And um, Sydney accidentally used firecrackers instead of candles. So the cake explodes and everyone hides as Mr. Fudge comes to investigate the noise. Can I interrupt for one second? Yeah. Just to comment, like everyone, yeah, as you said, everyone's bringing food. I just loved what Pete brought. Oh, yeah. It's such a classic thing. Like everyone's bringing like snacks and Cookies, whatever yeah. Jordy brings fancy food but Pete yeah. brings a watermelon and three packs of Tic Tacs yeah. <laughs> such a funny combination where did he even get this watermelon yeah, from yeah. it's yeah. so funny it's his is the most refreshing of all the food definitely say. yeah <laughs> that is really good I love that Pete just is never quite doing things well <laughs> yeah exactly so funny um Okay, so Mr. Fudge comes to investigate. Everyone hides, but Jordy pretends to be Boots. Um, and everyone is really impressed that he's able to, like, mimic Boots' voice. And that's the first of several times in the book that, like, everyone's genuinely surprised that Jordy can act, which I find is pretty funny and, and kind of cute. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. Think he's just a pretty face, I guess. So once the coast is clear, they abandon the game. They just decide to eat all the food. Meanwhile... Kathy is leading Diane and a dozen other girls in a plan to kidnap Jordy and bring him to a surprise birthday party that they are throwing for him back at scrimmages. So they break into the trailer, they scoop up a sleeping boots rolled in his blanket, who obviously they think is Jordy. They carry him back to scrimmages where the rest of the student body is waiting. Um, they're super disappointed to find out that it's boots, not Jordy. Um, and then they very unfairly just dump cake and punch on Boots' head because <laughs> they're so mad. Um, and then... I remember as a kid that made me so mad because they're like yelling at Boots and blaming him throughout. They're like, yeah. you really screwed up, Boots. And yeah. this felt, remember, feeling very bad for Boots growing up reading that. It's not his fault. It's just... not his fault. And now his like pajamas are all messed up. Yeah. With the cake and the juice. And they were already like on bad terms um yeah poor boots boots kind of gets um the wrong end of things a, a few times i think in this book so then boots is trying to leave 
And um, the scrimmage obviously finds him and marches him back to the hall uh, at gunpoint. Meanwhile, <laughs> Goose <laughs> finds that Jordy is missing, because now obviously Boots isn't in the trailer more anymore, and he starts to freak out. Uh, and he's making all, t- all kinds of noise. So the guys run to the window to see what's going on. And they see Miss Scrimmage with Boots at gunpoint. So Bruno is really worried that she's going to shoot him. So he goes to wake up the fish. The fish then chases down Miss Scrimmage, bashes her gun on the ground and breaks it. Um, he tells the boys to go to sleep and he'll, he'll deal with them in the morning. And then when he gets back home, Jordy knocks on the door um, of the fish's cottage even though it's the middle of the night, and he basically begs him not to punish Bruno and Boots. And he says, like, everything that happened tonight was just because they were trying to make him happy on his birthday, and they, like, really were not um, in the wrong. And the fish basically says, like, Jordy can can, can continue to hang out with the boys if he wants, but he has to obey the school rules if he wants to do that, and Jordy's really excited. Yeah, seems like a good deal from the fish, and he's pretty lenient on... Uh, Bruno and Boots in the gang when Jordy tells them that they were just actually being nice. So then they're on set the next day and Jordy has got Bruno apart as an extra. So they're now like best friends, which is great. Mm -hmm. Um, So in this scene, Jordy's, uh, I think they're like fixing the plumbing or or, like doing something with the plumbing because Jordy has started messing up the plumbing, I think. Yeah. Um, is that this? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Jordy's character is smiling because he's like happy that the plumbing's messed up, and so the Bruno's instructions, as like all the other extras, are just to look confused about what's going on. But Bruno yells "cut," and he asks for more instructions and motivation to help get him in the character. And Dinkman is just like going nuts at <laughs> Bruno for this because he's like just an extra, so like obviously you can't be doing that. And Bruno just like keeps messing up and keeps yelling "cut." And then he's smiling instead of looking confused and just basically like ruining chance after chance, take after take. And eventually uh, Dinkman kicks him off set um, because it's just, it's not working. Uh, So then we cut to hockey practice with coach Flynn and he's saying it's their final game of the season and they're playing, you know, their rivals, York Academy, who we are familiar with from previous books. They're the turkeys. yeah, big time, York turkeys. So Jordy is watching them at practice. Um, and then once practice ends, Bruno gives Jordy his skates for Jordy to try skate around. Jordy says that he hasn't skated in years. Uh, he like used to when he was younger, but then Goose wouldn't let him do it anymore. Um, and so as Jordy's sort of skating around a little bit, they start talking about the school dance that's coming up. And Jordy gets all starry-eyed and says he'd love to go to a school dance. He's never been. Uh, So Bruno says, like, well, you can't go because the girls are obsessed with you. So, like, you won't make it out of there alive kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then he comes up with the idea of if Jordy dressed up like someone else, like in disguise, then he could go to the dance and no one would know. So Jordy gets uh, the makeup and costume department to... uh, basically make him look like an Arabian prince, kind of. This part is not great. <laughs> they say he gets the makeup artist to darken his face, and he wears a turban, and he talks with an accent. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, it's not great. It's not great. Good I, news for Jordy is he can, he's on track to become prime minister in, like, two decades. <laughs> yeah, so we don't, 
so yeah, we recognize that this part is a little bit, or definitely not, not great. But anyway, so he's made up to look like a prince of a foreign land, um, and like all the stereotypical qualities that would go with that. Um, so anyway, so they're uh, like walking over, the gang's walking over with Jordy to go to the dance. Uh, but since Elmer is in, never goes to dances because he's afraid of girls, Calvin, the beast, <laughs> joins the crew, which I'm very happy to uh, see. So his personality is kind of how it was when he was playing football. He's like boasting a huge game. It's like spraying in a crazy amount of cologne, but he's secretly super nervous. Major uh, beast energy and, going into the dance. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Mark is filming the whole thing again. Calvin sprays some cologne which makes Jordy sneeze a bit, or a bunch, actually, mm. um, because he's just being wild with the cologne, and Jordy is, like, allergic to uh, whatever's in that cologne. So they arrive at the dance, and Scrimmage is mad when she sees Boots, <laughs> but uh, I just wrote, Scrimmage is mad, Boots is there, but Fish pones her a bit. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really accurate so, summary. Yeah, so the fish basically says, like, because Scrimmage still thinks Boots is like an intruder, even though nothing was his fault from yeah. that night. Yeah. Um, so Fish says, like, you can either have all my students or none of them, and he knows that Scrimmage will back down because she won't ruin the dance for her students. Right, and uh, so she's then mad she at the Fish for breaking her gun. So oh, it's all yeah. very tense. Yeah. It's all very tense. Yeah, it's very tense. Uh, so then she sees Jordy, obviously not knowing Jordy, just seeing this... Uh, person that she doesn't know and so she starts talking to him and asking who he is so they're trying to and Jordy's like answering her questions and trying to do it or Bruno I think is also kind of speaking for Jordy in parts so they're trying to do this without telling an actual lie because the fish is there and we know that they like refuse to lie around the fish which is wonderful and they but like uh, Bruno I think we get Bruno's internal monologue or maybe it's Boots's where they're like Oof, I really hope Jody doesn't lie because otherwise the fish is going to intervene. Like they know that's his lie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, so exactly. Confusing to me why he'd be like, "Oh, the jig is up." <laughs> he told him <laughs> exactly. actual lie. The fish can, does not tolerate any lies. So yeah, I think that is Boots that's thinking that. Yeah. So scrimmage is asking questions and Jordy's answering, and he so he says she asks where he's from, and he says Altadena, yeah. which is. Boots is like, we're getting like Boots's inner monologue, and he's like, oh no, he lied. Oh wait, no, like it's probably where he's from in California. <laughs> and then Jordy's like, on one side, the desert, and on the other side, the sea. Yeah. And then Boots is like, yup, California. <laughs> Definitely California. And he's so happy. <laughs> Which is really just a great little exchange. Yeah. So, anyway, this scrimmage is like, kind of gets the idea that. Jordy's a prince yeah. where he's from yeah. and starts like bowing and saying like girls like we're in the presence of greatness and that kind of stuff mm. so she walks away eventually and the fish turns to Jordy and obviously he knows it's Jordy so he's like what are you doing this is a terrible idea <laughs> Jordy says he's sorry he's never been to a dance but he'll leave he understands fish takes some pity on him and says scrimmage would be too sad if he left so he can stay but if he suspects anyone's onto him. He should leave immediately. So then Kathy and Diane go up to Bruno and Boots. They ask what the deal is with the exchange kid. Uh, Kathy says he's a creep with no charisma, mm. which is 
like really mean considering she hasn't talked <laughs> like maybe it's also racist i think probably like um, there's to call a lot this, happening yeah to call and him she, a like, creep with no charisma immediately is like well he's no jordy jones like why is that the immediate <laughs> <laughs> yeah so it makes relevant. no sense yeah yeah and like yeah it's kind of out of character for kathy and diane to like be so incredibly rude for yeah no reason there is like really starstruck by Jordy Jones, I guess is the point. Yeah. And so they like no time for anyone, not even Bruno and their friends, and certainly not for this foreign prince. From Altadena. Uh, from yeah. So Bruno introduces them uh, to Jordy, like under his disguise, obviously. Kathy says, no offense, but with Jordy Jones next door, like we're not very impressed with you, basically. <laughs> so <laughs> Jordy So Jordy says, I hear he's a great actor. Yeah. And Kathy and Diane say he can't act for beans, but they still love him, which is pretty funny. Absolutely uh, ironic since he's acting. They uh, haven't heard his boots impression. Or they exactly. Would not be fine that way. Yeah, well, this exactly. is another thing. They're also like, or the the boys, like the people who know that he's acting, are like super impressed that he's changed his voice and his walk and everything. And they're like, oh, maybe he is a good actor. Yeah, exactly. This And uh, apparently, yeah, apparently he is based on these examples. Yeah. So everyone's dancing, um, but nobody will dance near Calvin. So <laughs> the one side of the dance floor is like just Calvin dancing and everyone else is like kind of sardined on the other side to get away from Calvin. So he figures that people must not be dancing with him because he doesn't have enough cologne on. So he's trying to spray, but he's like moving so quickly dancing that he misses his body and the cologne kind of settles over Jordy who starts sneezing like uncontrollably so kathy recognizes that sneeze from a movie that jordy was in that she's seen so she like yells for the music to stop and for nobody to move and she's like i know that sneeze jordy jones is here so then there's like a mad scramble for jordy as they all like realize that this guy uh sneezing because i think he sneezes so big that the turban falls off his head yeah and so it's obvious it's him so there's a mad scramble for him. The girls are trying to get to him. The guys are trying to protect him. It's kind of like a stampede. Sydney gets trampled um, because, of course. So he gets trampled, then he climbs up on Bruno. Yeah. And that gives Bruno the idea of, uh, for Jordy to climb up on Wilbur. So he yells for Jordy to do that. Then Kathy and Diane also form like a human tower. Yeah, this so, incredible. <laughs> Yeah, so Kathy and Diane are like as a two-person tower are going towards Jordy and Wilbur. I don't know what happens like if they get him. Well, like, I don't know. Yeah, she's like she makes a grab for Jordy and he starts to lose his balance. Like that's kind of yeah, yeah. So she, yeah, yeah. so he tips backwards. Wilbur starts to fall, and it looks like Jordy's gonna fall from like a high distance. Yeah. And at the last second, he grabs the basketball net, which mm -hmm. happens to be there. Mm -hmm. So he's just like dangling from the basketball net now. And then at that moment, uh, Dinkman, Goose, and the movie security arrive with Boots because Boots has come to get them. And again, Kathy's just laying it into Boots. She's like, yeah. "That guy's gonna be such a nuisance." Yeah. So she really has, like, no appreciation for lives she's putting in danger or, like, yeah. things she's doing to this poor guy or to Boots. Um, she really just wants to get to Jordy. Mm -hmm. uh, but anyway, so the next day, the boys are sitting around, and they're writing letters to Miss Scrimmage, which is punishment from the fish to for ruining the dance. 
So they're writing letters to basically apologize. And my favorite is obviously Pete, <laughs> whose letter it starts with, Dear Miss Scrimmage, how are you? I'm fine. <laughs> Which is like, I think the funniest thing in the entire book, probably. Uh, so that was, that was really funny. Um, and then at this point, Larry reminds Bruno that he's running out of time to get in the movie because they have their wilderness survival trip this semester, which is colloquially known by the group uh, or by everyone at the school as die in the woods. <laughs> so seed is planted for uh, later on in the book. We get major hints at age again at this point. Oh yeah. Did you, did you catch it? So Elmer no. says every fourth form student has to go on it. No oh, idea yeah. what fourth form could mean. And we hear Sydney has already gone on it. So Sydney yeah. is potentially in like a different grade or form than they're in. Yeah, I was wondering about that. And Sydney, it was like Sydney's second chance because he couldn't go the first time because he hurt himself. Yeah, yeah. So is Sydney like much older than them? Yeah. Or just are there several opportunities to go throughout the year, I guess? Yeah. Well, that wouldn't make sense because they wouldn't go in like the winter. Although we have established yeah. there's no snow, so maybe they could <laughs> in the winter. But yeah, yeah what is a form? Add- Why does he say form? Even though I don't know, I'm guessing this is like an olden, like olden days expression that they were still using in the 80s. I guess that maybe we don't know. It seems it like seems- it's something like Elmer would say because it's like slightly, like yeah, fancy. Yeah. But they have referred to it as grades, like in the first book. They yeah, it's about, strange. Like, I assumed it was like their fourth year, like so they'd be like seniors. Although it's hard to actually know because I don't know when they start the school. So yeah, we don't know. We don't. Know. We just don't know. <laughs> but there was reference to age, know. so I want to yeah. yeah. And Sydney might be older than that. Sydney might be anyway. older and held back, which would make sense, or he's in a different grade. Yeah. We don't know. <laughs> yeah, I have other thoughts about die in the woods and how we'll get to that when we okay. get there. I guess. Sure, sure, sure. Okay, so. Uh, while this is happening uh, at the fish's house, uh, Dinkman and Goose and the scrimmage are there having dinner at the Sturgeons. I Classic. think Miss Mrs. Sturgeon is probably trying to get everyone together to like help mend fences since Miss Scrimmage is suing the fish right now. And like every time there's an incident, the lawsuit goes up by a bunch of money. Mm-hmm. So that's my guess why they'd be together because otherwise it'd be weird that they'd invite Miss Scrimmage over like during the time while they're fighting. Um, anyway, so Goose and Miss Scrimmage are fighting at dinner because Goose is yelling at her for the girls, like almost killing Jordy at the dance. And Miss Scrimmage says, "You, sir, are a cad." Mm, that's which, your favorite line in literature, I think. Yeah, I've definitely said uh, in my daily life, as Sharon knows, more than <laughs> once. So they both storm out, Goose and Miss Scrimmage. So the fish um, is just there with Dinkman alone. Uh, so he recommends that Jordy should be allowed to hang out with the boys normally so that they don't have to do all this sneaky stuff. Dinkman says he agrees, but like it's not really up to him. It's up to Goose, and Goose is an idiot. Uh, so then the fish is like, yeah, I know. And then, <laughs> okay, so cut to hockey practice, where uh, during the practice, a second goalie, fully dressed, comes on the ice and starts banging his stick on the crease, which I guess is universal signal for, like, come shoot at me. So uh, they take a couple shots on him. Then Jordy takes off his mask, reveals it's him. Says Goose told him he could have the day off. And then 
the coach comes, so Jordy like puts a mask back on, and he says, "Who's this goalie?" And Bruno says, "Fred." And uh, Fred volunteered to help practice uh, with help the team practice so that they have a second goalie. And the coach is thrilled with this because now more people can take part in drills and stuff. And the coach knows that his team sucks and he really wants to beat York Academy, so he's happy to have Fred. Now, what I don't get is the book says Jordy is only so-so as a goalie. He's good with his glove, keenly observant, so tough to fake out, but lets in the easy ones. But, like, based on that description, he's way better than so-so. His only weakness is just, like, he's not good at the bad, like, shots, but he's amazing, like, otherwise. I don't know. It was Except weird that, that he's, like, he, so -so. anytime, like, a puck seems to just, like, slide slowly at him, it goes in. That seems so. Yeah. That's, like, not great. No, but he's better than so-so. I'd say he's good with one weakness. Or okay. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe McDonald Hall like has so many bad shooters that he'd be so-so uh, against them. And then maybe, that seems reasonable. no spoilers, better uh, against a team that has better shooters. I can't believe... So Jordy... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, so Jordy says like he'll be at the game watching them when they play York Academy the next right. day. Mm-hmm. Especially because they're worried that scrimmages won't come. So they'll, like, lose their major home yeah. ice advantage, which is, like, the girls throwing things at the other team and stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I was just going to say that I can't believe after the whole Zucchini Warriors, Katia's Elmer debacle, which we, again, are assuming came chronologically before McDonald Hall goes Hollywood in the McDonald Hall. It must have because of the contract. Right? Oh, right, because of the contract. Exactly. So we know that that already happened. Uh, Coach Flynn see somebody with like a helmet on <laughs> they say his name is fred he's like is there a student named fred at the school whatever he's just like blindly like yep cool thanks fred like not at all concerned that this could be somebody it's not meant to be like he learned nothing from he has that learned absolutely nothing yeah <laughs> anyway so the uh, the day of the game against york academy arrives and parents and family and friends and all that are flooding the school not because they're excited about the game, but mainly to get a glimpse of the movie-making magic and all that excitement. Um, so there ends up being a big crowd for the game. Jordy begs Dinkman again to use Bruno as an extra that morning. And he gets Bruno not only um, as an extra in the scene, but he's got him a role that has a speaking line. Again, seems to not make any sense based on how movies are made, but whatever, it's fine. Um, so Bruno's super excited that he's, his big moment has come, but again, he blows this opportunity. He can't remember the line, keeps messing it up. Eventually he gets the hiccups and Digma's just like, Jordy, I can't make this happen. And Jordy's like, yeah. <laughs> so that's the morning. Then it's time for the game. Jordy is watching from the front row and he's wearing a shirt on which he's written team mascot, which is like the cutest thing in the world. I love yeah. how in love Jordy is with the McDonald Hall boys. It's the best. Um, York Academy has, of course, brought their mascot, a cat, with her kittens, which is a major throwback to the opening of um, This Can't Be Happening. So I love that, um, the, the continuity there. Great continuity throughout this book, actually, which is not what the Bruno and Boots series is known for. So um, <laughs> I do like that. So game starts, McDonald Hall goes down early, but they manage to tie the game up 3-3 in the third period. Then in the dying minutes, Bruno scores, and the team goes absolutely nuts. And in the uh, commotion, it scares one of the kittens who jumps onto the ice 
which makes Sydney trip, which makes all the other players trip because they all kind of like knock into each other and they fall. And um, when Pete falls, who's the goalie, he gets a concussion and the fish says he's not allowed to play anymore. So Yeah, I'll also just mention that Bruno scores basically like out of sheer determination because he doesn't want the game to go to overtime because then there won't be enough time for him to get in the movie before he goes on dying <laughs> woods. So he just like decides he must score because there's just not enough time otherwise. That is a great point. And I think at one point like the narration was like he's not a finesse skater or something. Because <laughs> yeah, like, you can yeah. just like totally picture Bruno as like not the most talented athlete, but just like has so much heart. Um, and as you say, just like wills things to happen. He plays hockey point. like he plays football, I would there say. Yes, very good, very good. Um, so McDonald Hall seems to be without a goalie. So Coach Flynn's like, where's Fred? We need Fred. And Jordy emerges from the dressing room, all suited up, ready to go. So there's, I think, about two minutes left in the game. And York is la- launching shot after shot at Jordy. But they keep, um, um, I guess they're high or whatever, or they're like good shots that are high and, and Jordy's great with his glove, right? That's the thing. So so Jordy's just like making incredible saves. And Boots is like, I hope they don't just like give a low shot, um, which we know that Jordy will let in. Um, so he almost lets one in. And for some reason, he like skates after the rebound that goes into the corner. Do I have that right? So like it, it does yeah. he does save it with his stick, but the rebound goes into the corner. So for some reason he leaves Jordy leaves his net and he skates after it. So two York Academy players come and like check him into the boards, which makes his helmet and mask go flying off, and everyone sees it's Jordy. Also, whenever that happens, like when the turban comes off, all that, I think everyone just goes, Jordy Jones. <laughs> yeah. Collective um, gasp. Yeah, also, gasp. sorry, just to interrupt for one second. Sure. Um, so like while Jordy's making all these great saves, like then at a whistle or something, one of the York players says to Boots or oh, Bruno, yeah. like that's your backup. Who's your third string? Jacques Plante. Yeah. So I'm just curious for anyone who has the newer uh, version, uh-huh. I'm guessing they updated that name and I'm just curious what name they updated it to. So if you can tweet us and let us know that's it's still Jacques Plante or if it's been <laughs> updated, that would be great. I like the way you say the name. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so, so they're basically scrambling in the corner. York does manage to get the puck free, and they shoot at the empty goal. Jordy runs and makes like a runs, not skates. It says because he has yeah. yeah, he's not great at skating, I guess. And he dives for the net, and um, the puck hits him just above his left eye, and that heroic save secures the win for McDonald Hall. So major, major excitement. Um, but it turns out that Jordy's eye is going to take 10 days at least to heal or, or to heal enough that it can be covered with makeup for the movie. So that puts the movie schedule on hold. So um, obviously Dinkman is super upset about this and he has Jordy just doing press for hours every day um, to try and make up for it and to try and sort of like use this as an opportunity to increase interest in the movie. Uh, Bruno decides for some reason to also organize a press conference. So he wants the whole hockey team to be there to tell their side of the story of Jordy um, and his spectacular save. And I guess to like get to be on TV as like making up for the fact that he wasn't in the movie. Um, but the fish shuts it down before it even really gets started. And he warns Bruno that if, if Bruno wasn't going on the wilderness trip, he would suspend him because he's like so out of control. 
But Bruno like doesn't even really care. He's still just like super intent on getting in the movie. Just wanted to touch on a couple things you just spoke about. Um, so you were talking about Coach Flynn having learned nothing. So when they're in the hospital talking to Jordy, Flynn's like, I can't condone breaking the rules, but today I came very close. Yeah. <laughs> and because and they say they, there was an ineligible player and they got disqualified. Right. I wrote ineligible player equals DQ equals sounds familiar. Yeah. Like if this is basically happening, if it might be the same school year based on how right. things are, would follow because football's in the fall and hockey would be in the winter. Mm-hmm. So that means like, two sports back to back <laughs> under the coach's watch. They've had an illegible player play. Like you'd think there'd be some kind of punishment for the coach. No. Like you would maybe get fired. Like after the second time this happens. Also that he was like really hoping Pete would just play with a concussion and the fish had to be like, no, <laughs> I don't know how oh, Flynn got or keeps his job, but he seems so inept. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's the best. Um, also at the hospital, I just wanted to mention that Goose is also in the hospital in a bed yeah. next to Jordy because he's had like a nervous breakdown basically, but recovered just as quick as the doctor. And then um, Goose is like, why couldn't anyone else have got hit with that ball instead? And then coach says, it's a puck. And then Goose says, it's a lethal weapon. It should be controlled by the government, which I like a lot. <laughs> yeah. And then also, sorry, just one more thing. Holy is moly. That, um, the fish, then I think he's talking to either his wife, I think his wife. Mm. Uh, I'm not sure, but he says, my instincts tell me Jones and Bruno and Boots are an explosive combination. And I wrote down instincts or the last two weeks. <laughs> like what instincts anymore? It's been proven like over several calamities. Everything that they're clearly an explosive combo. Of, yeah, that's true. It was so nuts. And then also at some point when like news breaks about Jordy being this hockey hero and being bedridden, he gets sent like a ton of flowers and stuff. So his trailer is all uh, covered in greenery. You mean his home. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So one day like Goose looks at his trailer without his glasses on and he doesn't see it because it's all green. So he thinks Jordy's trailer has been stolen. And then he like runs into a cactus <laughs> and his toupee comes off. Yeah. Just a little uh, slapstick humor there. He's a bit so, of a Sydney Rampolsky. That's true. But it's like, instead of it just being general clumsiness, it's always just because he's like very paranoid about something happening to Jordy. Yeah. Based on the description he's given, as a kid, I always kind of pictured him as Danny DeVito or Danny DeVito type looking guy. <laughs> Oh, I like that a lot. Uh, yeah, so that's how, when you're reading it, listeners, oh. maybe you should consider picturing him like that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now we're, uh, we're, getting to, we're getting to almost die in the woods. Bruno and Boots are packing for their trip. trip. Uh, well, I should say Boots is packing mm. because Bruno only has one thing in his duffel bag, which is bug spray, because he's so sad about not being in the movie that he says he like, can't get motivated to do anything, let alone, like, go on die, die in the woods. Uh, so then they're walking around campus, and they see the miniature faculty building that is being constructed uh, has now been completed. And they start to wonder why Jordy hasn't come say bye, because he knows they're leaving the next morning, and then by the time they get back, the movie will be gone. 
Um, so then they see that Jordy's up on a bike, like up on a hill. Um, but it's a double because the guy takes off his wig and it's like obviously not Jordy. So Bruno hatches a plan that he's going to switch spots with this guy and then he'll get to be in the movie. So Bruno makes Boots go up to this guy and tell him there's been a delay so that the guy will leave. So once again, Boots doesn't want to lie, but gets lucky that the guy kind of says, like, let me guess, like, problem with camera three or something. Mm -hmm. So Boots is happy, doesn't have to lie. And the guy reveals to Boots that this guy is a stuntman and, like, a special stuntman that they call in when, like, the regular stuntman chickens out kind of thing. (laughs) So Boots is, like, starts freaking out and running towards Bruno, like yelling, it's a stuntman, but it's too late. Uh, They've like set action and Bruno is biking down the hill and Boots is like, oh, this doesn't seem so bad. Why would they need a stuntman? And then all of a sudden there's this big explosion and the front wheel of the bike blows to pieces. The geyser of water shoots up. Bruno tucks and rolls and like just lands perfectly and it all goes amazing. And Dinkman's so happy. He's like, finally something's gone right. He goes up to where Bruno's lying down being like, great job, Charlie. And then Bruno sits up, the wig falls off, Dingman sees it's Bruno, and he just screams. <laughs> and then it like cuts to the next scene. <laughs> so then later Bruno finds out that he's still not going to be in the movie after all that, because he's not in the union. Which so hasn't he's... mattered for any other part of the movie, but anyway. <laughs> no, well, the stuntman union is in a special, special place. Okay. Uh, so... <laughs> so he's really mad now especially because he like could have been killed basically on this doing this stunt and he's also really mad that Jordy hasn't come to say goodbye and now it's like bedtime so they go to sleep the next morning at 4.45am Fudge wakes them up because they're leaving in 15 minutes uh, to go at 5am and then they realize that Bruno never actually packed so he just like packs in a total whirlwind and gets on the bus so the crew going on Die in the Woods are Bruno and Boots, Wilbur, Larry, Pete, Mark, Elmer, and Calvin. And then the two uh, like teacher leaders are Mr. Fudge and Coach Flynn. I just realized, isn't Calvin supposed to be younger than them? Didn't we establish that in Zucchini? Yeah, I think we did establish that that seemed so to be the case in Zucchini. But anyway, keep going. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. And also I like that they didn't, like they made up a reason that Sydney wasn't going to be on the trip because yeah. I, I think like Corman knew if Sydney was on the trip, just like he would have had to get into so many accidents and stuff that it would have like derailed the plot. So right. I like that Sydney isn't on the trip. Yeah, yeah, that's it, a good point. Yeah, yeah, it would have taken away from everything that's going to happen. So on the bus, Bruno starts bad mouthing Jordy <laughs> um, about like how much he sucks. <laughs> and <laughs> and then all of a sudden he hears like a voice below saying like Jordy's a great guy and he sees that it's Jordy like hiding out and he says he's stowing away because he can't take doing any more interviews and being watched all the time and being treated like a prisoner uh, meanwhile Calvin is boasting about living off the land and being like a great <laughs> huntsman and like woodsman um, so just Classic Calvin stuff. Uh. Jordy calls his parents and leaves a message telling them that he's leaving for a few days and not to worry, but he doesn't say where he's going. Um, The bus drops them off finally. And then there's a three hour hike from like when the bus drops them off, which is sort of like at the start of the woods. And they hike deep into the woods with all their equipment and stuff. As they're walking, Elmer is examining, 
you know, each tree and plant and animal he sees and like saying the Latin name and talking about it. Finally, they reach the site uh, where they're going to make camp. And then Fudge and Flynn realize that Jordy's with them. And I like that the coach says, all in one breath, it would seem, how did you get here? Why are you here? Please go away. <laughs> Poor coach can never catch a break. So they try to figure out, like Fudge and Flynn are trying to figure out if they should keep Jordy with them or take him back. And they eventually decide that Fudge will take Jordy to the main road and get to the closest town. And then Fudge will rejoin them once Jordy's safe and sound. So as they're doing this, the coach leans on a grocery bag and somehow drops like the papers with directions, his pen, his compass, into the canoe, which also has the food in it. And that the canoe like slips and starts going down the hill towards the water. And so the coach tries to save it and like jumps on the canoe canoe, but he kind of overshoots it awkwardly and it makes the canoe pick up a bunch of speed. And now the coach is like in the canoe as it's racing <laughs> down the cliffside. I think this is sort of the yeah, vibe I'm yeah. getting. Um, and then it hits like a rock that's arcing up. So the canoe kind of like flies into the water and the coach like dives off just before that happens. Um, so the coach hurts his foot doing this, and but the canoe lands on the water and they're saying they're happy the boat didn't sink because it has all their stuff in it. But then as soon as they say that, the boat does sink. So all their food is gone and their directions and all that. Meanwhile, Goose tells Dinkman that he can't find Jordy, but Jordy, I'm uh, sorry, but Dinkman like dismisses him and tells him to go away. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, back at Dying in the Woods, Elmer diagnoses that Flynn has a broken foot, but nobody knows how to actually help Flynn. And then Calvin says, I know exactly what to do. First, I'll kill a water buffalo. <laughs> There's good Calvin quotes throughout Dying in the Woods. Agreed. Um, so Jordy says that he knows maybe what to do from being in a paramedic movie. So he sort of oversees um, the making like a, a splint sort of thing for the coach. Uh, then Calvin says uh, that he's been marking the trail they walked the whole time. Uh, so he can get, the, he can uh, get them back to uh, where they came from, but he marked it with peanuts and then they see a squirrel eating peanuts and they realize that the trail is gone. They decide that Fudge should go alone to get help. Fudge has a compass, so he, um, so Flynn says Fudge on his way to try to get help. Uh, but then, like, hours later, by nightfall, there's no sign of him. And the boys are, like, getting worried about him. And the only food not that wasn't in the canoe that's now in the lake is a sack of flour and a jar of shortening which I guess is lucky that those randomly weren't with the Why rest of the food. Why would they have shortening on their trip? <laughs> <laughs> their survival trip, they have a sack of flour in a jar of shortening. It does seem like strange things to have, but they make some cookies with it. Yeah. And Pete also has lifesavers, which they have. Mm-hmm. So he's, we know he likes Tic Tacs and lifesavers. So yeah. he's big on like the small candy that like you keep in your pocket. I guess. He wants fresh breath. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And then Calvin says, first thing in the morning, I'll fashion a crude crossbow. <laughs> <laughs> I just have all the Calvin quotes written down. They're so funny. Um, meanwhile, like anytime an animal sound is heard, Elmer is saying what animal that is. And then all of a sudden they hear like rustling and Fudge comes out of the brush thinking that he's found the highway. He's like, what? What are you guys doing here? This is the highway. So we're back where they kind of started. 
Yeah, so they decide to just go to sleep for the night, and the next morning, um, Fudge sets out again for the highway. highway. Meanwhile, um, the boys are catching catching some fish, and that's going well. Ashley has something. I'll to just say. interrupt for one second because <laughs> at this point, um, Bruno realizes that he hasn't packed uh, anything yeah, useful, yeah. Yeah. so he's like wearing a bunch of everyone's like random things. But I just wanted to point out that he stuffs a couple ties in like these boots that are too big for him. And it says like, I knew they'd come in. Bruno's like, I says, I knew they'd come in handy someday. So I think that's like a callback to uniforms from Wizzle. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. It's sort of, doesn't this really make you feel like this should be the last book in the series? Cause it's sort of like when there's all these throwbacks to the other books. I was just thinking that. And I bet, I bet originally it was because the other one comes out like so much later than the rest yeah. of these. I feel like his publisher eventually convinced him like you got to do one more. People love real foods, yeah. but I'm I don't know for sure. But it's I would bet that he expected this to be the last one in the series. Well, we'll ask him when he becomes our best friend and third we'll ask third co-host. Okay. Um. <laughs> so so the boys are like catching fish and they're actually really good at it. And Calvin keeps fainting though first he faints at like the sight of the fish's teeth and then he faints when um flynn like um starts to like cut and prepare the fish uh so that's all pretty funny then flynn says um they should make a raft with an sos sign on it and they'll just sort of like float it into the river and hopefully passing aircraft will see it and realize people are um in trouble meanwhile back at the hall Goose lets it slip to a reporter that Jordy is missing, um, and so that breaks into the news. And so, upon hearing that, Kathy realizes that Jordy must be on Die in the Woods with Bruno and Boots. So she decides they're going to trick Miss Scrimmage into taking them to Algonquin Park, where the boys are camping, so that they can meet Jordy. And there's no like security or anything to stop them. Um, and this is a good plan because Scrimmage is supposed to be taking them to Montreal for a baking club trip. And so Kathy's like, oh, we can, we'll already like be in the car on a field trip. We can convince her to, to, um, or we can trick her into, into driving the wrong way. Um, likewise, when the fish hears the news that Jordy is missing, he also instantly figures out that he's out and die in the woods. So he tells Goose, um, and Goose is like, we got to go get him. And the fish is like, no, they'll be back in like two days. It'll be fine. But then the fish is just getting more and more annoyed with the quote unquote media circus that's camped out at the hall now trying to cover this story about Jordy being missing. So the fish decides that um, they're just like, he can't last two days like this. So he's going to go get Jordy himself. He knows where they're camping. And then he'll bring Jordy back and the reporters will be satisfied and they'll leave. So once he decides to do this, He's obviously discussing this with his wife. And then he delivers this amazing line to end the chapter. Prepare my union suit, Mildred. I'm going on die in the woods. (laughs) (laughs) Incredible line. So as he's getting ready to leave the next day, Goose figures out that that's where the fish is going and he demands to go with him. So they get in the car and they start driving. Um, And as they're on their way, the fish realizes reporters are following him because they figured out that this is what the fish is going to do. Meanwhile, the girls do trick Miss Scrimmage into driving to the park instead of to Montreal. And when they arrive, Miss Scrimmage is like, what is this? They explained it to her as a surprise camping trip to celebrate her 50th anniversary of teaching. So obviously, Miss Scrimmage is very touched and happy with this. 
Meanwhile, Dinkman finds out from Mrs. Sturgeon where Jordy is, and he resolves to go find him as well. With a helicopter. Oh, yeah. I thought when he said that, it was kind of like a throwaway thing, and then, well, I won't spoil, but I wasn't sure if that was his actual plan or if he was just like, where's the, oh, yeah. where's the helicopter? But I, you could be right. He could be like, get me a helicopter and be fully serious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hard to know. Okay, so then, yeah, so I the girls are like pretty happy that Miss Scrimmage is randomly super excited about this. They like didn't know how she'd react, mm-hmm. but Miss Scrimmage is loving it. So as the girls are like walking through uh, the woods, somebody asks Kathy what she'll say when she meets Jordy. And Kathy does this like crazy loud scream. And then, so go back now back at the boys camp, the boys hear this faint sound from where they are. And they ask Elmer what it is. Cause he's been doing all these saying whatever animal it is. Um, and he says he didn't hear it right. It must be mistaken. So that sounds a bit ominous. Mm. Meanwhile, they're writing a, uh, help on the raft cutting wilbur's long underwear and bruno and boots have both made the e so it says heap instead of help (laughs) Um, which is funny because wilbur's like somebody's pretty stupid or something he just like yells that and it's just funny and coach flynn is like you guys want to check that out it just like made me feel like they really like established themselves like at this campsite and now they've like yeah all have these different chores and stuff I, i liked it right um, so, so anyway, the fish and goose are now also like walking through the woods to the campsite. They hear this crazy scream that the boys have, that Elmer's also heard, and now the fish is like getting a little bit anxious. He wants to find his boys. The screams are getting louder, meanwhile, and Elmer's getting more and more worried. He, Coach finally says, "Like Elmer, what are you hearing?" And he, Elmer says, "It's a spotted tundra leopard." And Flynn says, "No way." And Elmer says, like, keeps insisting that it is. Mm-hmm. And so everyone starts freaking out. Calvin says he's going to rip it to shreds, but then he starts crying, which is pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they, the sound gets louder and louder and louder. Uh, so they grab weapons, uh, like pots and pans, to like prepare to battle the spotted tundra leopard. Um, and then... Bruno and Boots like share a moment with each other, like where oh. they stare into each other's eyes and like scared that they're gonna die. And then Brute snaps out of it and says, nah. Yes. <laughs> Which is weird because like they haven't spoken yes. until he says like, for nah. For a minute, so. it's like major Toy Story 3 energy for a second when they're like face down there. Yeah. But yeah, I do like they just like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Bruno says, or asks Elmer um, if the leopard can swim and Elmer says, no, the cats don't like water. So he says, let's all get on the raft we just built. Mm. So the boys all start, they carry Flynn and run down to the raft. Uh, meanwhile, fish and the fish and goose emerge from the brush onto the campsite and the boys see them. They call for them to join them on the raft and the sound gets, is like super loud and really close. So the fish and goose like sprint down to the raft. And finally, the source of the sound emerges into the campsite. And, of course, it's Kathy that has been making that sound with her scream. Um, so then Miss Scrimmage thinks everyone's there to help her celebrate her anniversary. <laughs> so she's really touched. Uh, and then at that point, the helicopter comes with Dinkman in it. And as that's happening, the reporters come out of the bush and start taking pictures of everything. 
So quite a chaotic scene. The helicopter picks everyone up uh, off the raft, and then they leave Die in the Woods and head back to the hall. So now it's the final day of filming, and it's the film set is now fully open to all students from both schools. Uh, Dinkman, I think, is like he's now just sort of happy that it's coming to an end, so he's like loosened restrictions, I guess, which might have been on based on how it's described. So there's two scenes left to film. It's the faculty building explosion and the stunt scene that they did with Bruno that they have to redo. And why so, would they have to film the faculty building blowing up the model of it at McDonald Hall? No reason. It doesn't make any sense. No, they've already said that all the interior stuff is being filmed somewhere else. So it's not like the whole movie's being filmed there. Right, exactly. There's no, they there's should no be reason. like in a studio with them. Anyway, I'm over. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> yeah. So meanwhile, Jordy's like, now mingling with scrimmages, uh, students, he's signing stuff for all of them. Scrimmage and the fish are friends again. They've mended fences. She's dropped a lawsuit. He just has to buy her a new shotgun. Uh, Goose is recovering from sunburn on his bald head in Jordy's trailer because when he was on the raft and the helicopter came, his toupee flew off. So that's where Goose is in the trailer. Kathy and Diane aren't really talking to Jordy though. They're talking to Bruno and Boots. And they're like, can you believe that these girls are fawning over Jordy? Uh, which is pretty funny, given all they've tried to do throughout the book. Um, so they apologize to the boys and say nobody could replace them. And they, Bruno and Boots, like, forgive them. And they tell her, they tell Kathy that Elmer wants a tape of Kathy making those sounds so he can study them. <laughs> uh, because it sounds exactly like the spot of Tundra Leopard. And then Dinkman says it's time to blow up the faculty building. So the two technicians uh, gets to like do this. They see a wire buried in a flower bed, and they're like, "This must be it." And one guy says, "It must be the wrong one because it like doesn't make sense exactly where it's located." And the other one says, "This is a school. How many detonator cables are just lying in flower beds? Like, just do it." And so the uh, Dinkman says, "Action!" They press that plunger, and nothing happens. Uh, because, of course, as you may recall, <laughs> there is another wire that is connected to the super-duper jumbo boomer. So that is actually what they're pressing. So that, like, is near Jordy's trailer where Goose is currently lying down. Which is also weird, actually. Why is Goose in Jordy's trailer and not his own? But Can anyway, you tell you? Um, <laughs> so the trailer, so, like, the firework kind of launches in the trailer or around the trailer, I guess. And the trailer starts like moving because of the firework. Mm -hmm. um, so the firework goes off and now the trailer is picking up steam and starts flying towards everyone, like the crew and students. And the trailer's brakes are now gone because of the firework. So the trailer's going super fast, Goose is in it, and he like pokes his head out the window, like screaming. So everyone leaps out of the way but the trailer crushes the faculty building model that's been built. And then at this exact moment in all the chaos, Mr. Fudge gets out of a cab that happens to be like stopping right on the set, I guess. And he asked for $347 and 50 cents. So I found that very funny, actually, mm -hmm. that they like kind of just forgot about Fudge yeah. until that <laughs> moment. It was really funny. Like nobody even thought twice about that. Um, so Tinkman is just like, 
totally fed up. He says, like, this place is cursed. They'll rebuild the model in California. He just wants to get out of there. Which would make he says, more Let's sense. Just yeah, yeah. <laughs> he says, let's film the stunt and then, like, be done. Someone says the stuntman threw his back out, dodging the trailer. <laughs> <laughs> so Dinkman says, all right, that's it. Like, we're just keeping the one that Bruno did. And I'm going to do, like, whatever I need to do to get him in the union. So he's like, that's right, kid. You're going to be in the movie. And then so Bruno is obviously so happy. So then Jordy's saying bye to Bruno and Boots. But he says the movie premiere is going to be in Toronto. And he wants them to be his guests so they're going to see him again soon so that's great mm -hmm. so that's sort of the end of the book but then there's an epilogue mm -hmm. um, where it starts describing the toughest critic in town sir michael markham and markham is the town that gordon corman grew up in so mm -hmm. nice little shout out there uh <laughs> so markham is described as like just like hates everything gone with the wind he hates so much everything he hates he calls Academy Blues fertilizer. <laughs> and then there's an after party at the hotel with the gang. They give Jordy a copy of Mark's movie, which he's, you know, been a documentary of the making of Academy Blues and all their adventures. And so they start watching it at this party and slowly more and more people like come to gather around. And eventually there's like 150 like people, like movie people, people in the business. And the movie, Mark's documentary ends and everyone's just speechless. And then that silence is broken by applause from Sir Michael Markham, who <laughs> goes nuts, absolutely loves it. Everyone joins in the applause, and Mark bows, and that's the end. Now it's time for Crime Watch, when we talk about the various low-key crimes that are committed in the book. Watch out for the crime! It's Crime Watch time. Oh, okay. nice rhyme. Oh, thank you. Um, I didn't think there was too much crime in this book. I think uh, no. the fireworks prank is probably not great. Yeah, some mischief involved, certainly. I mean, I think, like, putting fireworks around the trailer, like, probably not great, but not that bad. But the Bruno and Boots, like, aiming this rocket thing at the trailer <laughs> probably... <laughs> Not the most legal thing in the world. And and there's, like, regulations around fireworks and stuff, so... Yeah. I don't know. I think the girls attempting to kidnap Jordy and successfully kidnapping Boots feels like a crime. Yeah, I wrote that down. <laughs> I thought... Or, sorry, did you have others? You can go ahead. Oh, okay. Well, I was going <laughs> to say maybe, like, Bruno continuously, like, going onto the film set oh yeah like into the into the shots that's like seems like a trespassing type thing it's definitely trespassing um yeah that's a good one i think like obviously the scrimmage pointing her gun at boots and then also sturgeon <laughs> destroying the gun that's probably something um, all kinds of crimes with that definitely like a lot of union rules were broken on this movie <laughs> yeah <Agreed laughs> and maybe that. some child labor laws in terms of, like, Jordy doing press for, like, 12 hours. I don't know. Yeah, true. That is true. And then I also said uh, Miss Scrimmage's driving seems like she was breaking oh, a few yeah. laws. We didn't really talk about it, but when she's driving and, like, is just following the directions that Kathy and Diane have replaced, like, her Montreal ones with these ones to get to die in the woods, 
Uh, she's like doing some really dangerous <laughs> driving on the on the highway and like doing like u-turns and like almost crashing into this guy that is just like trying to avoid her so i think definitely That's some true. traffic crimes dangerous driving can be a crime yeah so actually like mainly adults maybe committing the crimes in this book as opposed to yeah. kids how refreshing <laughs> Time for Sleeping with the Fishes, where we talk about the sturgeon's domestic life. Sleepy, sleepy, fishy, go to sleep. Nah, that's all it. My heart wasn't <laughs> I think in you, I think you've had a similar lullaby in the past. It's definitely possible. It's definitely possible. The thing I'm looking forward to about season two when we have to invent some new segments is the fresh slate for the jingles. Oh, can't we? Yeah. Cannot wait for that. All right. So, Sturgeon's domestic life. Honestly, there wasn't too much. Just kind of the usual fish complaining to his wife slash using her as a way to, like, have exposition for certain yeah. things. Um, yeah, she was definitely in it a lot less than some of the other books. Yeah. I would also, yeah, I feel like often in the books she's telling the fish like why the boy shouldn't be punished or like something like that and in this book Jordy kind of takes that role so oh, maybe that's true. gave her less to do yeah i think that's right and it's like yes you like we get her at being like a Jordy jones fan a little bit but that's like kind of expected and sort of like we've seen that before a little bit just the like loving of the the young boys and all of that um, in a nice way, yeah. in a nice way. Yeah, yeah. Um, there is one... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, no, you go first. Well, there is one great part I wrote down, um, just like a little tiny scene when the fish is finally setting off for Algonquin Park. Um, there's no dialogue, it's just like description. He gets into the car, um, and you know, he's like dressed for the wilderness. So he gets into the car and he takes off the hunting cap and he like throws it on the seat next to him. Then he glances back towards the house and he sees his wife in the window, like shaking her finger at him. Then he sighs and he puts the hat back on. How that actually is, is that? hilarious. <laughs> yeah, so that's good. so funny. It's so. I good. forgot about that. Oh my gosh, it's just like so perfect. But yeah, that was that like is really the only sleep with the fishes moment that I had. They don't even play <laughs> Monopoly with Jordy or like anything fun. Nothing. Yeah, surprising. Uh, the, yeah, the only other thing I was going to mention is that even though she's not in it much, but she does give Dinkman like the key piece of information mm -hmm. that Jordy's at Die in the Woods, That's which true. leads to Dinkman going there at the helicopter. So That's she true. is responsible for the, kind of the resolution in some ways. That's true. There is also the um, the like one dinner that they have, and that as you said, we were kind of like trying to figure out why, like the motivation for that dinner. And now I'm wondering if it was like just so we would have something to talk about for this segment, because you could easily figure that out. Yeah, yeah. Nice of him to consider there might be a podcast about his books thirty years after being written, right. where we would need something to talk about. So exactly. thank you for looking out for us as always, Mr. Corner. And it would be nicer still if you emailed us about your wish to come on the podcast so that we can ask you some of our burning questions. Yes, your silence has spoken volumes. <laughs> it's deafening at this point. <laughs> um, 
Just kidding. We're sure he has not listened to a single minute of this podcast and therefore doesn't know that he has an open invitation to appear on it. Yes. And we do appreciate every time you respond to our tweets and retweet oh us. So we thank you. lose our minds. We're so excited. We, uh, we're happy for days when that happens. All right. But then we're not at that segment yet. Okay. Now it's time for this can't be happening at McDonald hall in 2020 where we talk about how technology would have changed things if the book was written today. So I'm going to go back to an old favorite since uh, our friend Seth is listening and there's a character named Seth in the book. It seems appropriate. Mm. This can't be happening at Donald Hall in 2020. Okay, I don't really remember the correct clapping structure. I've never done this one before. It's usually Shira's. So apologies for butchering that, Seth. Hope you still enjoyed it. Also... I think um, fans of Ashy will know that he doesn't have the best rhythm, I guess we could say. Notoriously known for being unable to decipher where the beat is. <laughs> and you didn't yeah. find it that time. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta stay on brand. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> so <laughs> technology in this book... I guess would have changed something. So I think like die in the woods in terms of like navigation and communication, it could have helped, but I don't know if they would have like had phones if, if they were trying to like really have like a wilderness survival experience, in which case they wouldn't have had navigation or communication. So that could have been like a choice. You know yeah. I mean? And they may have not even had a signal depending how deep in the woods That's they are. If they did have a cell phone. But yeah, I did say Jordy would certainly have a cell phone. Um, mm. so they'd be able to like contact whoever he needs to contact to tell them that he's okay. Right. That's true. In the books, when he makes the call, it's from a payphone. FYI. Yeah. 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 Um, also like some of the movie stuff, I guess could have been different. The blowing up the faculty building definitely could have been CGI instead of a model. Hey, I wrote that too. Hey, friends. Um, but that's all I had. Did you have anything else? No, you took my CGI one, and that was my final point. Took it and ran with it. Yeah, so overall, not not really too much difference, I would say. Yeah. This is a, a pretty technology-free or neutral book. Yeah, I would say so. I would suspect maybe the girls would have put like some kind of GPS tracker on Jordy oh, somehow or something yeah, that had it been nice. written today. Yeah. Or they would have, like, potentially with social media and stuff, been able to get his attention easier and say, like, we're across the road and we love you. Yeah, true. Okay, it's time for the Elmer Drimsdale Memorial Award, where we talk about our favorite side characters and we grant the Elmer Drimsdale Memorial Award to our favorite one. Just want to point out that um, Ashy just told me off mic that he had not selected a character, I said, you better think of one, and then he immediately said, I have one. <laughs> it's true. All so, of that is true. Rest assured, <laughs> this segment <laughs> will go as planned. All right. Elmer Drinsdale, it's your time to shine. Elmer Drinsdale, you're fine. Wow, it was started off so well. I can't emphasize enough how blank my brain went. <laughs> all words left. Not even rhyming words, all words left. 
just words. The yeah. ability to speak the English language. It temporarily gone. disappeared, but I mean... It happens. Yeah. It happens, happens to the best of us. In this case, it did happen to the best of us. <laughs> hey, hey, Got him. Who's your favorite side character? Well, oh my gosh. I really have a lot of feelings about this. I mean, the Beast Say is back. That is super exciting. And again, I love that he's like just the Beast in like a different context. He's like the exact same guy. I love that like Pete is very hilarious in this book. Mm-hmm. I love um, like Mark and his movie is always pretty fun. I like that Wilbur is like extra grumpy in this movie or in this book. And he's like always talking about food and he's like always just like a little bit upset about things. We have some new fun characters like Dinkman and Golden. And I guess, I don't even know if Jordy's a side character. He's sort of almost a main character. The yeah, one I was going to say that. Downside, I was going to not allow you to say Jordy was your favorite. The one downside in terms of side characters for me in this book was Kathy and Diane, where they just are like very one dimensionally boy crazy. And as you said, like Kathy is just like kind of a jerk a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. So. Um, but yeah, I think Diane has like two lines in the yeah, entire Diane's book, like, really like she never talks. Yeah. So that part's not great. Um, in terms of the award, I want to bend the rules a little bit. Huh. I'll listen. Yeah, I don't think you're going to like this. I mean, the supporting characters are great in this book, but this book clearly has one star, and that's Bruno. And I really want to give my Umbridge <laughs> Memorial Award to Bruno. He is not a side character, but he's the absolute heart of this book. He is so funny. His energy is so crazy. I love his relationship with Jordy and that he like hates him, then instantly loves him, then instantly hates him again, then instantly loves him again. <laughs> There's just like just so much Bruno has going for him in this book that no other character really compares in my mind. And that is my case for why Bruno should win an award for which he should be ineligible. <laughs> I mean, I will allow it. I don't know what the Academy will say, but yeah. I suppose it's fair. It is completely outside the scope of what the award entails, <laughs> but you, you've presented a good case. And in, on this occasion and this occasion alone, I will allow Bruno to win the award. That's very kind of you. He, both he and I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, you definitely make a good point. Bruno really carries this entire book. Um, it's more focused on him than probably any of the others. Mm-hmm. I would say, like in terms of like Boots, really not doing so much at all, mm-hmm. other than like getting kidnapped and stuff. But yeah, Bruno carries the entire plot. It's always like his motivation not, for things that makes them Yeah, happen. exactly. They're not, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you actually touched on, like, all the people I was going to list as, like, contenders, like mm-hmm. the Marks and uh, Pete's of the world. Yeah. You, you, uh, you already spoke about, so I don't really need to. Um, it, yeah, I think it's a close one for me, but I think Calvin edges mm-hmm. it out because he has just so many funny lines. Yeah. Um, and the die in the woods part is my favorite part of the book. And he has mm. just some killer lines in that part. And I think it 
I edge it to him. I'm sad he never refers to himself as the beast. Agreed. And I'm also sad that at the end of Zucchini Warriors, he like talks about how he's like the beast playing hockey too, like as a defenseman. And then they're playing hockey, and he's not even mentioned as being on the team. Well, it might be because because he's younger, so he might just be on a different team. I guess, but he's on the football team. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, again, but, no logic. To it. <laughs> yeah, just like too too much going on. I get it. You can't. If yeah. he was on the hockey team, it would be all about him. And obviously the right. focus was on Jordan. So it's fair. But yeah, Calvin uh, gets it, which I think is back to back for him, for me now. So yeah, congrats exactly. to the Beast. You're uh, a breath of fresh air whenever you appear. You steal every scene you're in. <laughs> and I, ho- I hope to see more of you. I don't honestly know if he's in the next one. I remember so little about the yeah, next I book. I don't remember if he's in it. That, I, don't think uh, he I guess we'll find out. Yeah. Right. Well, congrats to Calvin, and I hope that in addition to the award, you appreciated the love letter Asher just wrote to you. <laughs> <laughs> My love letter started, Dear Calvin, how are you? I'm fine. <laughs> okay, welcome to Room 306, a segment where we ask each other a couple dumb questions and try to answer it. Vroom, vroom. <laughs> no, no. Room um, yep, yep. rhymed with broom. Vroom, vroom. Three oh six miles per hour, boys. Yes. So There's many. always one. There's always one. Uh, we've never had one where you've panicked in the middle of it and yelled no. <laughs> <laughs> I did say don't start recording, but That's true. you insisted. Well, he said I have nothing. I said here we go. <laughs> Well, that is proof that I wasn't lying. You're not supposed to be ready. That's the point. It's true. You're ne- we're never ready, but I was really not ready that mm. Well, it showed. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Here's my first question for you. Okay. And it's actually the second poker-related question of the season that I will ask oh, you. I like that. And it's very appropriate because Ashy is going to play a virtual game of poker as soon as we finish recording. So this will get you in the mood. Now, during the poker game scene in this book, the guys use food instead of money when they play poker. How do you think they determine the relative value? So for instance, Mark has a box of cookies and Larry has cheese and half a loaf of bread. So when they're betting, how do you think they determine the relative value? That's a great question. I think that they, I feel like they leave it up to the expert to figure out sort of a equivalency scale, the expert being Wilbur. Oh, so maybe they okay. present all the food, say this is what it is. Yeah. And then he determines this many Tic Tacs is worth one slice of this French bread. Mm. It would it would present a problem because Jordy's brought like lobster and filet mignon and like all this fancy food yeah so like one like morsel of that stuff would like be all of pete's tic tacs so right could uh be actually a bit complicated so maybe they just go with a uh, one unit whatever it is right. it's like just one just to keep but things tic-tacs simple tacs would have way more units than a half a loaf of bread potentially it's true. And Bruno's jumbo bag of nacho popcorn oh, yeah. would be the richest man ever. So yeah. I think, yeah, it needs to be determined. And I think Wilbur would be the one that they would turn to to do that. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
Very good. Thank you. Um, I can ask you a question now if you'd like. <laughs> That's a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> Based on the premise of the segment, it seems like the thing to do. Correct. Um, okay, so my question is, Based on everything you know about Academy Blues, this is a two-part question, sorry. All right. Based on everything you know about Academy Blues, like from reading McDonald Hall Goes Hollywood. Yes, how you... else would I have gotten information about it? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. Do you think, A, you would want to watch this movie, and B, would it be a hit? Ooh, okay. Well, the only review we have of it is that it's fertilizer, but... Yeah. Um, Seth Thingman did seem to claim that that was a pretty good review for uh, Mr. Markham. I think I would want to see it because I like um, movies that are in a school setting. I like, and as we said, it has a kind of like a Corman feel to it. So we like those kinds of stories. Apparently, Jordy Jones is a very talented young actor. So potentially giving a good performance. Again, I'm a little concerned about continuity in the movie in terms of none of the extras will be in the interior scenes. Nobody, oh, yeah. nobody with any kind of speaking line or any character besides <laughs> Jordy will be in the exterior scenes. So that's a bit concerning. Um, so I think for that reason I would see it, but maybe critics would pick up on that and it would not be a hit. That is a great answer. Thank you. Um, I mean, what I wouldn't give to see Academy Blues, let's be honest. And see, yeah. see Bruno as the stunt guy. Yeah, I personally, like, yeah, I, the plot sounds terrible to me. <laughs> but I would watch it because I'd want to see my friends as extras in the background. Right. Yeah, yeah. I, ho I really would love it if, like, um, either after the credits or, like, as the credits are rolling... It's bloopers, but it's just the like Bruno's bloopers. Oh, it's just like at all the footage they have of Bruno. <laughs> that would be genius. I would watch that over and over again as opposed to the whole movie. Okay. My next question and last question. Which beloved movie or TV show from our childhood do you think Jordy Jones could have starred in and why? Oh, that is a fine question. Um, <laughs> okay, two things come to mind. Yeah. I have two possible answers. Um, the first is I think he could, even his initials are the same, actually, mm -hmm. as this young actor. I think he could do a tremendous job as Charlie Conway in yes. Mighty Ducks. That's what I was thinking would be my answer. Um, yeah, taking Joshua Jackson's uh, role. But and we then know he's, a little bad, bit of a, he's bad with his stick, so how is he going to do a triple deke? Oh, that's true. Yeah, because he's only... Yeah, well, he, he'll figure it out. They, they have magic. tricks, camera tricks and stuff, Hollywood magic. Right. Uh, my other answer would be a bit of a, a deeper pull. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think maybe maximum one person other than us has seen this movie in the history of the world. Oh. But I would say if he had the um, main role in the Buttercreamers gang. Oh, <laughs> I was thinking about that movie the other day and wondering if there's any chance it's online somewhere. <laughs> yeah, if anyone knows what we're talking about. The Buttercream uh, gang, I think, is called, it's called. 
What is it? The Buttercream Gang. Not the oh, Buttercream sorry. Gang. No, but that's totally fine. Again, it won't matter to anyone because I'll never have heard of either. <laughs> yeah. It was like a Disney. So, was it Disney? It was like Disney adjacent. I don't, I don't think it was Disney. Yeah, it was a it free was movie, movie you could movie. get if you got a McDonald's Happy Meal. Right. There was four movies. VHS. This was, I, I think, the only live action one. I think the others were all animated. Um, but it was a crazy movie about this like really nice boy that does, and his like gang, but the gang just like does nice good deeds around yeah, the butter town. Butter cream gang. Yeah, and then their best friend, his best friend, moves away or just starts hanging out. No, with, he like, moves to these... Chicago. Yeah, like, yeah, and then he think he comes back, but yeah, now he's yeah. like a bad boy doing bad stuff. Correct. And it's just like about this kid trying to get his friend that's doing bad stuff to start doing good stuff again. Yep. And, and yeah, and it's baseball. like, they play a lot of baseball. Yeah. It hits, uh, it hits pretty heavy that it's a, uh, it's an emotional watch. Uh, yeah. So I think, <laughs> can I risk spoiling the, end? <laughs> because the ending is one of the craziest choices of any movie I've ever seen. Again, no one's seen it and no one has a chance to see it because it's only available from VHS in like 1994. But McDonald's Happy Meals. McDonald's Happy Meals. They end it with like so like the bad boy goes back to Chicago and everyone's like, oh no, like we didn't have a chance to save him kind of thing. But then they like go on with their lives. Then the like main guy comes back home and everyone's like gathered around and they're like, I'm so sorry. I'm so, <laughs> I'm so sorry. And like you were meant to assume that like the bad guy was killed in some sort of like gang-related thing. You're like, I'm so sorry, like you did all you could, I'm so sorry. And he's like, oh my God, like what has happened? Like super upset. Then they show him a newspaper article where it's like the bad boy went back to Chicago and like formed a good guy gang. And like now he's making a difference. So they just like pretended that he died <laughs> to this kid for no reason. And the movie ends like, oh, it did make a difference. Why? Why would the, rea- why would the appropriate way to present that information be like your friend died? Just kidding. He's actually doing great. <laughs> Yeah, and it's like the parents are in on it. Everyone's in Everyone's on it. The like pastor, everyone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the whole town is gathered oh to trick this kid into thinking his best friend that he was unable to save has died. Whose idea was it, and how was everyone like? That's a great idea. <laughs> oh, if the uh, writer of the Buttercream Gang is listening, can you please tweet us and explain to us? I want How to this watch all came that about. movie so bad. Oh my gosh, I'd give anything to be able to rewatch it. Yeah. Oh Great. man. Okay, that was excellent. Um, I'm gonna ask you my second question. But I totally agree. Jordy Jones would be amazing in the lead role in that movie. Go ahead. Thank you. <laughs> uh, okay. Would you rather mm-hmm. take a take a slap shot to the face, like a puck to the face from a slap shot, yeah. or go on die in the woods if you know your food is going to sink to the bottom of the lake. Holy moly. <laughs> well, do I get, do I take the puck to the face in a heroic save to win McDonald Hall the game against York Academy? Um, or do I just get a puck sure. to the face? <laughs> let's, let's say yes. I mean, to be honest, it is, it is a tough call because Taking a puck to the face sounds terrible. Yeah. Dying in the Woods does sound terrible, but also I'm like with the gang and I feel like we'd have a lot of great memories from that experience. Yeah. But given how much I hate camping and given how much I like attention, 
I think I'm picking puck to the face. <laughs> Fair choice. Can I ask a quick follow-up that I just thought of? Sure. Which is, which of those two options would our mother be more upset about hearing after the fact? <laughs> um, I mean, I mm, this is a tough question. I mean, I guess if I survived, like if I was home and was like, this is what happened on my wilderness survival trip, I think she'd prefer that one just because there was like, no potential brain lasting brain damage. Yeah, I agree. But I mean, you can answer this because like almost the same thing happened to you once when you took a baseball to the eye. Okay. Yeah, I can confirm she doesn't like it. Yeah, she's not it's not her favorite thing. And your movie director was pretty upset because you push shooting exactly. back on your movie. <laughs> I had to do so many interviews. Yeah. <laughs> that was a good question. Thanks. Okay, it's time for report card when we grade the book. Report, 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 report card time. Yay! <laughs> okay. All right. We, I mean, it's not easy, folks. It's not easy. Yeah, you try coming up with new jingles. Yeah, you jerks. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to go first? Uh, sure, I can go first since... I have the infamously less exciting report card method. Uh, after my failed attempt at a last-minute switch to one of your scales, yeah, uh, when that went awry last time, I think I'll just stick to my tried-and-true letter grades. Um, I would give McDonald Hall Goes Hollywood an A- minus for mm -hmm. the following reasons. Um, I... As a kid, I remember this being often my favorite or like uh, like cycling through between this and Zucchini Warriors and more with Mr. Rizzle, but like this one always kind of stood out as I think my like slight favorite at growing up. Um, and a lot of it I still love, but uh, I don't know. There's like a couple things about it that just it didn't flow like quite as well as zucchini warriors for me. Yeah. Um, there is a lot less like side character involvement, which, you know, I love. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, it's like much more of like a focus on basically Bruno and Jordy. Um, so well, that being said, like, I think it's very funny. There's some very funny lines. I think the ending, how it all like comes together is really good. Like the die in the woods, ending mm -hmm. combined with uh and then like the last day of shooting ending yeah um so it's like it's really good don't get me wrong it's just like slightly worse than i remember it being but i remember it being my favorite so just like obviously like the stuff with the Jordy dressing up as the prince of a foreign mm -hmm. country like that doesn't uh didn't age well at all mm -hmm. um and yeah, just like a lack of involvement from some of the other characters keeps it at a minus instead of just an A. Uh, but overall, very funny book made me probably the, like most of any other made me want to maybe like go to boarding school like for <laughs> a time just because it sounded really fun. Mm -hmm. So I think like their hijinks they get into are among the most enjoyable. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so overall, very, very good. Not my absolute favorite, but very good A-minus. Nothing wrong with that. Very nice, very nice. 
Okay, so um, this time I have what I'm calling a solar scale, which if you want to be technical, it's actually a distance from the sun scale. So we're using the planets, and the further oh. the distance from the sun, the uh, higher the grade is. So, Ashley, do you want to give us from low to high what that scale would be? Oh, wow. Putting me on the spot. But you like I space. I think you know this. Uh, oh, I know it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, at least I hope I do. <laughs> uh, okay, so we would go, and I don't have one of my great um, mnemonic devices like Roigabiv to help me. I know mm. there is one, but I never learned it. Yeah, I don't know uh, what it is either. But it's uh, Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, Jupiter, uh, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, and no longer Pluto. I don't know if you're counting Pluto in your scale or not. Pluto is not on my scale, but that was excellent. Um, very nicely done. I knew you would nail that, so I didn't feel bad about putting you on the spot. I think we <laughs> even added the uncertainty over Saturn for a little drama, but I don't know if it was sincere. It did. Well, <laughs> you'll never know. True enough. Okay. So I am giving this one a Saturn, so third from the top. Mm -hmm. um, to be honest, I expected going into this reading to grade it a little higher. As you said, it was like one of my favorites growing up, um, one that I would return to over and over again. But upon this rereading, the Prince thing didn't sit well with me. The fact that none of the movie stuff seems to make any sense like, <laughs> annoyed me a little bit. Um, but the main thing is that instead of, as in Zucchini Wars and some of the other books where there's like threads throughout the book that all end up in one big payoff, in this book, it's like divided into very discrete acts that all kind of like yeah. resolve within themselves, right? It's like first hating Jordy, then liking Jordy, then the hockey game, then go die in the woods, right? And so it's like, yeah. they're just like, there's just these chunks um, and you're right, like, the climax is kind of fun, but for me, Die in the Woods is, like, the least fun part of the book. Like, it is very funny, oh. and Calvin's very funny, but I like the stuff when they're, like, on campus and, like, dealing with the movie people and all of that a bit mm -hmm. more. Um, so for those reasons, it kind of, like, fell in the ranking, but it's tough to deny how fun this book is. Like, putting aside all of that, it's just, like, really fun to have Jordy and the movie going on. Their antics in this book are really fun. Um, so, I mean, highly recommend. It's deaf, as you said, in, in the top three, um, or at least in like the higher echelon of the Bruno and Booth series. Okay, now it's time for our final segment uh, called Our Man Corman, where we tweet Gordon Corman live on air. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight we have a very nice bottle of Our Man paired nicely with this Corman. Uh, like, uh, you know, like the wine. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. The waiter's got the wine. The waiter's got the wine. What's a corman? It's like a, a gamey foul, I think. Ooh, okay. <laughs> On the strength of that answer, I now like <laughs> that jingle. Okay, folks, so um, as is our new custom, we have um, drafted a tweet to Gordon Corman off air. It says, hey, at Gordon Corman, we just finished McDonald Hall Goes Hollywood. When are you going to publish the screenplay of Academy Blues? Hashtag Fred the Goalie. I'm going to send it. Send it. Here we go. It is sent. 
All right. Excellent. And that's our episode. This was a fun one. I mean, a real fun. good one. Yeah, fun. we went a little long, but really, what else are people doing? They want to be listening to two hours of us talking about McDonald Hall goes Hollywood, I would think. Obviously. That is the premise of this podcast. So, of course, <laughs> that's true. Of course that's so we doing. hope that's what they want. Yeah. And I'm really excited for our final episode, both because it will round out this first season for us and also because it's a book neither of us are really familiar with. So it should be pretty Yeah, exciting. That's right. I think uh, we've spoken about it uh, possibly before, but I think we've only read it maybe like one or two times and both like not within the last 15 years or something. I think it's fair to say maybe more. So a few surprises for us, surely. Um, but until then, please uh, be in touch with us on social media. We love chatting to you guys over Twitter. Remember to rate and review us on iTunes. Again, no clue what that does, but um, it's probably important. And you got to uh, do it. Tell all your friends about this podcast and um, spread the good word about Gordon Corman and the golden age of his books and potentially Canadian children's literature. Yeah, and just a reminder, our Twitter handle, for those wondering, is... Go ahead, Ashley. What is it? Oh, uh, <laughs> Zucchini Warpod, I believe. Yes, that's correct. That's right? Zucchini Warpod. You did it. Yeah, you didn't have to worry. We are at Zucchini yeah, so... Warpod. Follow us. Retweet us. Talk to us. Love us. Tell us great things about us. All that stuff. We really appreciate when you do. So it gives us also something to tell our family about at our uh, when, we're, when we do our weekly zoom chats with them so we can <laughs> if we can say you know we uh this person said something nice about us it goes a long way so it goes a long way and just as an example of what happens when we don't have that at this most recent family zoom call ashy rolled in with um a new hairstyle in which he had <laughs> gathered his top hair into like a man bun but like right on the top and the family freaked out and we talked about that for like 20 minutes. So while that was fun, I think we could use some other material. Yeah. So please, please help us with that. And thanks again for listening. Um, we do really appreciate it. And yeah. And, um, I guess, I guess, um, we, you might think that it was a grapefruit that clogged the pipes of, uh, Georgetown Academy. But actually, I heard it might have been a sea creature, which is why my advice to you would be beware, beware the, the fish. fish.